Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. All right. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Seth, how are you today? I am well. I'm yeah. very well. I'm I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm, all, I'm always excited to be here, but <laughs> I'm really excited to talk about laws for some reason today. Like I have a lot of energy for it. <laughs> it's because you're on the Daniel fast, and so all you're doing is eating fruits and vegetables you and know, shotgunning coffee. You're literally so. not supposed to announce to an entire podcast audience <laughs> that you're fasting because it is against the Bible. <laughs> But well, at least you did it for me. I did it, and I didn't and it, do I had it. no, I had no pride attached to it whatsoever. Right. So. so now I have to fight this entire podcast, the pride of all of our <laughs> listeners knowing. Thank you, David, that I You're am welcome. currently more holy than them. But that's right. Yep. Moving on, moving to on, <laughs> away from my sin now. <laughs> so, um, okay, so a couple notes before we jump in. Um, we're going to be in Deuteronomy twelve to fourteen today. Yep. Uh, but also <clears throat> wanted to alert all of you regular podcast listeners that we are going on our first winter break. Finally, uh, finally. we've never we've never really done a break, and uh, we did like a one week break. We one did, yeah, but we've not done like a, a a solid little seasonal break, which is very healthy. Um, and uh, that'll be helpful for Which us. Which is fitting because after yeah. chapter 14 comes chapter 15, did you know? And chapter 15 is about the sabbatical. That's so right. we're going to go on a sabbatical. We're going to go on a sabbatical. It's going to be great. Yep. And uh, we'll actually probably keep recording a little bit over that sabbatical, but. So, oh, so uh, we're still working. Yeah, you know. Oh, but got it. Whatever. Got it. Got it. <laughs> uh, anyway, and so just a heads up on that. So you won't see um any more um new content episodes, yeah, from us until uh, maybe like mid to late January, and then we'll hop back in, uh, wrapping up Deuteronomy. So just wanted to make you all aware of that. Okay. So Merry so, Christmas, I guess. Is, Merry Christmas. Uh, we won't is, get a chance to tell you. Yeah. So Merry Christmas, and if you want to give David a special gift this Christmas. Oh. You can like us on our podcast <laughs> app. <laughs> we would actually love it. We have sixty reviews, uh, sixty like likes or five star ratings, yeah. and a bunch of reviews. We would love it if you guys continue to do that over the holiday season as you're it listening means a lot and sharing. It, it means a lot to us. We read them all. Other people get to see Jesus in all scripture when you do it. Yeah, please do it. Thank That's you. That's good. And if you, I don't talk about this much, but um, if you, if you, uh, I know Christmas time is the time of giving. And so if, if that's uh, something you like to do and you like this podcast, you like spoken gospel, our introductions, our devotionals, our podcasts, whatever, uh, we're 100% donor supported. So if you want to uh, join us in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture, you can do so by going to spokengospel.com slash give. And you can make a one-time or um, even more helpfully a monthly donation to How join many us people in our it's like $36. If like 10 people give $36 a month, does that fund a video? Uh, it's uh, it's it's 36 people giving $36 a month. So 36 people give $36 a month. You fund the next video. Spoken what, gospel video. What, yeah. what are we working on right now? We're in wisdom right now. Yeah. So, so we, we, film, uh, we film Song of Songs this weekend. So if you want to see Song of Songs, spoiler alert, can I spoil something? Oh yeah, go ahead. It's it's a ballet. It's gorgeous. I, we it's, just got sent the footage from our dance studio, and it's amazing. So if you want to be part of seeing a ballet and spoken word poetry and the gospel and the Book of Song of Solomon's preached, you should totally <laughs> give thirty six dollars a month. Thirty six of you, you should give thirty six dollars a month. I love it. Thank you, Seth. 
All right. Okay. So let's jump into the text here. Thank you all for bearing with us on our long preface this morning. Um, no, it's not but, that bad. I listen to some podcasts where it's like a ten minute like it's conversation true. between the host, yeah. and I like I fast forward. Yeah. Yeah. Get it's to the much. meat. So yeah. let's get into the let's get into the chosen meat here. Chosen not, meat, not the unchosen, unclean. So meat. chapters one to eleven <laughs> is essentially an introduction to twelve mm-hmm. to twenty six, which is like the legal core of the book of Deuteronomy. So after like recounting what God has done in Israel's past, uh, just like the covenant on Mount Sinai, where God recounts all that He did for Israel and Egypt, Moses gives the law. He explains to Israel what they're expected to do once they arrive in the land. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the bulk of the chap of the book of Deuteronomy is the law that we're about to read. That's right. That's right. Yep. And so we come in and uh I guess really fittingly, Moses opens up this new section, if you will, that 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 Seth just explained with a command. And it's these are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess. So here they are. These are the laws. These are the commands. Be careful to follow them where in the land that you're going to enter. And what will happen if you do, you will live long in the land. So like this is really an encapsulating statement for the Mosaic Covenant. Wouldn't I mean, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. If you obey the law, you will enter into the land and live long in the land. That's it. Yep. Yep. And that's so the good news of the book of Deuteronomy. Obey the yeah. Lord mm-hmm. and and you get the land. That's yeah. the good news. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And so, um, and so, really, these these first three chapters, and and a lot of the the the, Deuteron- the Deuteronomy law uh, is about Israel's distinctiveness among the nations. And so, here we're going to see uh, in these three chapters, they need to be distinct about where they worship, how they worship, how they deal with sin, what they eat, and what they do with their resources. All those things in these three chapters distinguish them from the rest of the nations. And throughout, we're going to hear, don't do this like the inhabitants do. Don't do it like them. Do it like I'm going to tell you. So the law is about Israel's distinctiveness. So maybe we should unpack that a bit about like, why would God give Israel law to make them distinct among the nations. And like, why is that important? To that point, not just these laws that we're about to read in the, these three chapters, but mm-hmm. like all the laws that you yes. read are about distinguishing God's people from everybody else. And I mean, he says it multiple times. It's because they are holy. Like you yes. are a, a holy people and I am a holy God. So if you're going to be like me, you're going to be holy as well. And so we've talked multiple times about holiness in the podcast. Like on one level, holy means different, unique, and separate. So if God is a different, unique, separate God of life and love, his people are to act in the same way. And the nations surrounding them are not people, not nations of light and love, but nations of darkness and death, mm-hmm. which is really explicitly said in chapter 12, verse 31, where it says, they've done every abominable thing that the Lord hates. They have done this for their gods. They mm-hmm. even burn their sons and daughters in the fires to the gods. Yeah. So like if God is a holy, unique, life-giving God and the nations around them are rep- have gods that are associated with death and infanticide, have nothing to do with them. Everything should look like me, not like them. Yeah. And what's really interesting too, I've, I've never seen this until this moment. Um, and I think that was really helpful uh, what you just said, Seth. Um, but 
in the same way that Israel is to be like their holy God, so they are to be holy, it seems like the same thing is happening in that mirroring between the gods and the humans in yeah. the pagan nations. You have these unholy, wicked gods creating unholy, wicked people. Yes. And so it's it's they mirror their gods. Now I want you to mirror your God. That's exactly right. There's this like theme throughout scripture where like you become what you worship. That's right. Um, yep. So like like back in Exodus when they uh, worship the golden calf, the first thing that's told we're told about them that they are stiff necked, <laughs> just like calves are stiff necked. Yep. We talked about this offline, but there was like a, a part of the Egyptian religion was that the pharaoh could harden your heart so that you could be free from the consequences of sin. And when Israel desires to trust Egypt, to go back to Egypt, to eat the meat pots and the leeks back of Egypt, they're described as having hard hearts. Like they become like what they hope in. They become mm -hmm. like what they worship. And that theme progresses throughout scripture. And I think you're seeing another example of it here. You're right. Yeah, definitely. So I just thought that was a really interesting mm -hmm. comparison there. And so, uh, but there, there's the context of, of God's command for them not to worship their gods or to worship Yahweh like the, the inhabitants worship their gods uh, is in the context of where are they to worship when they come into the Holy Land? Because yeah. right now they've got this mobile tabernacle and they are all kind of circumferenced around it. You know, I was they're, thinking they're... about this, like how far removed would be like, you wouldn't be very far from the tabernacle if you're in this wandering, you know, That's cross, right. right? Like within mm -hmm. a couple hours, at least, you know, yeah. I mean, at most maybe a, uh, you know, a, a good morning's hike, you know, right. Um, just because so what's happening then when you go into the land, there'll be one place that they can worship. Yep. And they all, if you're going to worship or offer sacrifices, you have to come from wherever you're living and travel mm -hmm. all the way to where the, this tent, this tabernacle will be. That's right. That's yep. Different from the surrounding gods because they could work, the surrounding nations could worship their gods wherever was convenient. They could erect an Asherah pole. They could yep. make a little idol, make a little shrine in their little village, and they could go there and worship the God there. Yeah, and, and Israel's actually commanded to, when they go into the land, to destroy those outposts of the gods, the the poles and the shrines. They're to destroy those things and set up only one localized place um, where where God was to be worshipped. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, why is that part of the distinctiveness of Israel's worship? Like, yeah. why couldn't Israel have a mini tabernacle in their town? Why is there only one? It's a, I mean, it's a huge question, I think, um, and, and so I don't know if I can address it fully. Um, I think I'd have to look into that really deeply. But off the, I mean, I think obviously it's it's about monotheism a little bit here, that it's, okay. yeah, yeah, that yeah. there's one God, you know, hear, O Israel, this is, you know, in Deuteronomy, the Lord, the Lord is one, you know, and so yeah. I think this idea of having the one place that you must come to, to worship the one God is is kind of reverberating this very central very scandalous idea in the ancient near east that a nation mm. worships one god yeah. in, and especially in one place it just heightens the drama of monotheism in israel and so they're like wait why can't you just worship in your house or why right. can't you just erect a shrine and it's like no 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 we're not allowed to build anything that represents our God, because he's too holy, he's too set apart, he's too powerful. We can't and, divide God in that's the right. way that yep. you divide God. Yes. We have one God, one place to find mediation, one place for our sins to be forgiven, yep. and that's in God's presence, where yep. he, he dwells. And I think that's the other big thing, is the difference between Israel's God and the gods of the inhabitants, is Israel's God is actually there. Like, 
he right. actually came and right. filled the tabernacle. He's located inside the tabernacle where all these other gods are are just fake. They're just they're right. they're just images. And so why would you go to an image or a facsimile or representation or a reminder when you could go to the living presence of God? Like that's I think mm -hmm. one of the big reasons is like God's like this is my house. I'm yeah. here. Don't go to a picture of me. Come to me. You know, I think that's a big reason why. Uh, it also makes sense of the way that Deuteronomy 12 and other uh, throughout this chapter talks about this place, the Lord. It says, uh, verse 5, you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there. And he says it again in verse 11, the, uh, the, the place your Lord God will choose to make his name dwell there. Yeah. So there's this, so God is choosing to take his name and place it in a particular place. Mm -hmm. um, and what we're saying, or I think I'm trying to like put all these things together. What we're saying is like that name is not just um, like the name on the side of a building in a university. It's not like, he's right. like this is not, yep. this is Yahweh's building. It's more yep. like his special presence will be in one place because he is one God. Is yeah, that kind of what we're saying? Yeah, yeah, there's two I think there's at least two things we need to remember that are outside of our modern context that will I think help what you're trying to say. One is more literary and it's okay. the fact that when when the the Torah and even the Old Testament as a whole talks about my name will be with you or I will put my name on you or th it, yeah. it, it is that is presence language, not necessarily like uh, when you sign a document and it's like, oh yeah, I, I endorse that or right. um, I call that my own. I'm the benefactor of this. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. When 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 God when God is talking about the divine name, I mean, and what does the divine name even mean? I am. It's it it even means presence. I will right. put I am there there. You know, yeah, like yeah. it's like it, the name itself is present. So I will be there is what he's saying. Yeah. So I think there's a literary thing going on there uh, that I think is mm -hmm. really important for us to, to to remember. The other thing is cultural. And that that we need to remember that the that names in this time are way more significant than they are now, um, especially for Westerners. You know, it's like, yeah, what's yeah, your yeah. name, David? What does it mean? I don't know. You know, <laughs> and uh, and so for God to put His name on something is way more significant, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, I mean, like I, worship. I don't know. All I know is that <laughs> my mom, <laughs> my mom named me David because, and this is true. She says that an angel visited her while she was pregnant and told oh her that I would be a poet, that I would be a poet and to that name is, me David after the poet. Crazy. Yeah. And she wow. never told me that until I became like an established poet because she didn't want to influence me. She just wanted to see if God did it. What? Yeah. Anyway, That's... I've never told that story publicly. So now it's buried in a, in a podcast episode about Deuteronomy 12 to 14. I hope you guys find it. <laughs> I hope you find it. Uh, so anyway, so the, the name though is like, it's a big deal for you to give your family name to a place or to, you know, a location. It's to say like, it's just way more significant than it is yeah. for, for us today. So I think that's a, those are two things that heighten this idea of God saying, I'm going to make my name dwell there. Is he saying, I'm going to take my special presence okay. and live there, take up residence there. So um, yeah. on the, on the, so, so God is appointing a place to worship where all the sacrifices are, are supposed to take place. Mm -hmm. And the place where everyone is supposed to come to experience the Lord, to ex receive forgiveness of sin, to receive me mediation by the priest, to be in the presence and feast and eat and celebrate the, fe the festivals is in this one particular place because God's presence mm. 
mm-hmm. is in the tabernacle. It's right. in the tent. His name literally dwells there. Yes. So I think this is a really clear place for us to jump to John 1, 1, Definitely. where it says like the word became flesh and dwelled, same word here, that's used here, tabernacled among us. So God's special presence in Jesus comes and resides in one particular person. In the same way that Israel could only come to one place for forgiveness of sins, one place for celebration, one place for uh, what else do they come there for besides forgiveness of sins and celebrations? Those are the big ones. Those are the big ones. Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving, like the one place that they came to is the one place we come to in Jesus Christ. Mm He is where we find all of those things. We shouldn't go to other gods or other shrines or other locations, but to Jesus Christ alone. Yeah, definitely. And I think we have to we have to remember too is like every every other type of sacrifice is prohibited in this passage. That like mm-hmm. and and they're not to worship and make sacrifices um e- either in the same fashion or to the same gods, you know, as the as the inhabitants. And um I think for us there there is still that scandal of exclusivity to yeah. Christianity that we say that there's salvation found in no one else for no other right, name right, right. has been given under heaven or earth by which men must be saved. That's from Acts, right? Yep. Yeah. And What's so it's funny like, is I'd not thought about like the ancient world being opposed to exclusivity. Oh, it's like whenever yeah. I hear about like exclusivity, people are complaining that like modern mind just can't handle exclusivity, but that's actually not true. No, it's not just the modern mind. It was the ancient mind too. Oh, definitely. Why can't I go worship God? down down in my village i can worship god wherever i want i don't need to go to one place into one temple that's exclusive that's restrictive restrictive. yeah yeah i mean and think about john 4 and the samaritan woman you jews say we can only worship in jerusalem but we say we can worship here in samaria so is that like and it's like yeah exclusivity was always scandalous (laughs) and so it's true though it's like there is only one so so i think what what we need to lean into here is why why do Christians claim that there is only one place to find salvation? Is it because we're bullheaded and narrow-minded? No. What we would say here out of Deuteronomy 12, it's it's because God himself has come to uniquely dwell in the person of Jesus and provide salvation through his atoning death. And so it's like, there's only one place. And like, so come, like sojourn to the temple and like freely take it's just over and over again in this passage don't offer sacrifice anywhere else but at the place the lord will choose Mm -hmm. at the place the lord will choose the place the lord has chosen is jesus christ yes there is no salvation anywhere else why because god has chosen that place that is the good news of deuteronomy 12. Okay, so we've looked at the unique place where God is going to dwell, make his name, take up residence there. This is the one place Israel is supposed to worship, and that is to make them distinct among the nations. Everyone else can worship wherever they want, kind of however they want, even to the point of sacrificing their own children to their unholy gods. God is saying, I want you to be distinct and holy and different and good. And so now we're going to hear about like what happens when someone breaks these laws and like what if somebody doesn't want to worship at the place the lord has chosen yes what happens when a prophet a family member or influential people within a city decide we can worship wherever we want yep or tempt you to worship wherever you want yes right and this is where we get the difficult controversial famous uh kind of like blasphemy death laws (laughs) 
Like these here we here yeah. we have God saying um, that if anyone um, tries to lead you astray to follow other gods and worship the, in the ways that they do, you must put them to death. This has already come up in Leviticus. So we've had a couple instances where like death is commanded for people who are trying to lead people away from the Lord. Um, and this is a retelling of that and giving three very specific examples. And the first example is when a prophet prophesies correctly, but then decides to lead you astray. I think the reason this is leads you to other God, this, the reason this is the first one and the reason this is here at all is because of Balaam. Oh, right. At because the end Balaam, of Numbers prophesies a coming messiah he only pronounces blessings towards israel he chooses to become a part of israel has a track record as a good fair righteous maybe prophet and then leads them to worship other gods which leads to phineas like spearing somebody through the belly that's right so this is here because in israel's history they have literally listened to the voice of a false prophet yep. and been led astray. Yep. So you say, don't repeat your history. Don't do that again. <laughs> That's amazing. I've, I did not make that connection when I was reading this, <laughs> but that is spot on. It's just so cool too, that God is like giving laws that directly relate to Israel's <laughs> cultural moment, you know, <laughs> where it's yeah. like, like, I think I always view these laws as like coming down from heaven in a vacuum and right. just being like, this is who I am. I am Yahweh. I am God. I'm like this. So live this way. And it's like, no, God is interacting with Israel's surroundings, their history, their uh, inclinations. Like, it's just a very, right. very cultured historical command. And that catches me so off guard in a good way. That means the next one, which is specifically about your brother. Yeah. It's Aaron. Oh, my gosh. Moses's brother led him them the yes. Israelites astray at the golden calf. Oh and he's God. saying, even if your brother call, calls you to worship a foreign god, put him to death. This yeah. has led to disaster for the nation of Israel. Yep. Like, do not do this. Yep. Put that one person to death instead of risking the entirety of the kingdom mm. of God because of one person's sin. Wow. Yes. What's, does the third one have a cool thing like that too? I was trying to figure it out because <laughs> this one is if you hear in one of the, your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and drawn away from the inhabitants of the city saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. I, I don't know. The only thing that comes to my mind from certain worthless fellows is the mixed multitude, the yeah. rabble, in the wilderness. So it could be that parallel. There was right. these mixed multitudes, these Egyptians, these other slaves from other nations that came with Israel out of Egypt, who consistently throughout the book of Numbers draw people away from trusting the Lord, not listening to the provisions that God made with manna and the quail, and led them to worship other gods and disobey the God of heaven. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe these are all like examples, yeah. including this one. I'd, I'd have to do more study on the certain worship sure. fellow thing. But I think they're all examples from Israel's history. Definitely. These are three types of people who have led you astray in the past. Instead of causing the whole nation, thousands of people to die, kill the person responsible mm. for leading you away from the Lord. Yeah. And, uh, before we talk about death, um, I think I'll, I'll stay on the subject of who is leading people astray. And I think it's a, it's a really sobering warning to be like, but this like really trustworthy public figure who has been right and has led people correctly uh now it seems like he's doing something different and he seems like he's leading people astray but because of what he's done in the past i'll trust him you know kind of like balaam 
Yeah. Um, and like, there's a warning there. And then there's like the brothers though. And, and it even talks about like, even your own wife and children and yeah, yeah, yeah. it like, gets really personal. Uh, you know, I mean, Aaron and Moses were close, like really close, you know, Aaron was Moses's mouthpiece, you know? And so they were really close and I'm just like, that is a hard command. Uh, but it reminds yeah. me of like the, if you don't hate your own mother or brother, or father, or yeah. you know, more um, than me, more than me, me. what Jesus says. And so it's like, we must prioritize God as our father and giver of truth above family ties. We must, we must accept his name given in the, right. in the tabernacle above our own family name that we've been given at birth. It also reminds me of the passages in the new Testament where Paul talks about church discipline mm -hmm. and sending somebody out of the church. Yep. If you have somebody within your church leading people astray or living in a way that's not like that, they're not obeying the Lord and causing other people to come with them. It is better to push them out of the congregation, not as a means of cruelty, but as a means of it, recognizing what's actually happening. They've yep. been given over to Satan in their heart and they're pulling other people towards Satan as well. Yep. So kick them out of the church, show the congregation and him what's actually happening happening in his heart. He has been given over to Satan yeah. so that he might repent and come. So yep. I think there's like parallels there. Oh, huge. We don't need to, go into, yeah, don't need mean, to go into them in a huge amount of detail, but you should know as a listener, like that's what's ha like that's what Paul's drawing. Oh, on big time. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I I don't think we've been shy about it here. We believe that the church is the new Israel, you know, and so obviously this is a picture of that like by Although continuing I've been reading more and more about like what that means precisely and i'm really excited when we get to like oh boy. parse out like what that means okay. and, like is new israel separate from the church oh sure in what ways are they separate and what way are they similar anyway yeah Teasers. lots of lots of wonderfully con controversial things there yeah <laughs> um no one cares about those ideas uh anyway and so um yeah well while we're talking about new testament parallels um i think even um so i think there's like the if you don't hate your father and mother you know you know, you're yep. not worthy of me. Yep. There's that one. There's the one about excommunication. And then I think it even gets like really personal. And I'm wondering since the, the sermon on the Mount that Jesus, you know, preaches um, in Matthew five, six, seven uh, is, is a parallel of the Torah that he's picking up on the law. Right, of Moses, right, right, right. If he's pulling on these ideas of cutting off family members and, and, and casting them out, even, uh, like burning things in, in the fire. Like we get to that in the next chapter, like whenever there's like, um, uh, like the, the Asherah poles and stuff get burned in the right, fire. Right. I'm just wondering if he's pulling on all this, all this imagery when he says, if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it mm, away, right. you know, cause it's better for you to go into heaven without an arm than for your whole self to be thrown into the fire. I'm wondering yeah. if he's like with, with the same extreme attitude that I told you to preserve purity and holiness in the camp of Israel and now in the church, you should maintain that same extreme actions and attitudes towards your own body that yeah. like, if something's causing you to sin, it's going to take your whole body down. Just like one person would take the whole congregation down. Yeah. And so cut it off, throw it away, get rid of it. I feel like he's pulling on some of these images yeah, here. Yeah. I mean, he literally says throw it into hell. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. right. Like yes. it's, it's better than one part of your body to be thrown into hell than all of you to be. Yep. And so yeah. that's what's happening here too. I think it helps us understand this text too, is it's like, it's better for, I know it seems very intense to, to kill someone to like, you know, put them to death. Yeah. Um, but it's better than a whole nation dying, you know? And so right. like, and, um, 
yeah I, it's just that parallel to me was was pretty stark i don't know it is, i mean it is interesting i i haven't i didn't i didn't i didn't pull up on that but but you're right like the severity i mean again like like there's a personal severity there but there's also like the eternal severity mm-hmm. of what happens like so there, we were talking about exclusivity of the claims of jesus like jesus is the one name the one place where you come to for sacrifice and here people who disobey and do not worship in the place that the Lord has chosen are killed. Yeah. In the New Testament, if we do not worship in the place the Lord has chosen, in the name the Lord has chosen of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we are we're not killed, but we are separated from the Lord eternally. Like yeah. the the consequent consequence is hell. Yeah. So it's not that the New Testament is less offensive than the Old Testament. It's it ratchets up the it commands does. here. Like if you have a problem with the killing commands here, you have a problem with the concept of hell. Yes. And the if you have a concept of hell, you have a problem with the killing commands here. And the, they're not unseparated from one another. That's right. So yeah. if you're listening, I don't know how I can reconcile these things. I think what you just need you need to wrestle with: Do you truly trust that the Lord choosing something? And you choosing something else is actually treason. Mm. Like, do you actually believe that you're committing a crime mm-hmm. against the kingdom of God? Right. Because God, according to his word, says you are. Mm-hmm. Like, if you decide that there are other gods, other kings, other idols that you would wor- rather worship in your own way, in your own place, it is treason. Mm. And treason in the kingdom demands death. Yeah. Whether eternally, because God is eternal yep. or in the nation because this nation was temporal. Right. Both are true. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. And I mean, it's, it's a difficult concept to grapple with, but I think you're right. Like if we can't accept this, this smaller version, how can we accept the ratcheted up version of hell um, in terms of uh, blasphemers being put to death? I think it's really important for us to, to, to look at Jesus here and see that what was, what, what, what was the charge against him that led to his sentencing to the cross? It was blasphemy. Yeah, it was blasphemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was being charged, and like they used Deuteronomy 13 against him. The blasphemer shall be put to death. Like, that's, that's take, take him out of the yeah, city. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. But who was the blasphemer in that situation? It was the people calling him a blasphemer. Like, he literally died on behalf of the blasphemers. He died the death of a blasphemer on behalf of blasphemers. Yes. Like, and so we are the ones who have blasphemed God. We have, we have not chosen what God has chosen, as you said earlier. Like we have not obeyed the law that he's laying down here. We've not, uh, we've not acted consistently with his character. We've wronged our brothers. We've elevated ourselves. Right. We've built idols uh, in our hearts and in in reality. We've not worshiped at the one place that he's told us to worship. We've drawn people to worship the things that we worship rather than the one true God. We've drawn people away. And so Jesus was was allowed himself to be called a blasphemer even though we were the blasphemers in order to die this death so that we wouldn't right. have to die it and like that's like that's a perfect picture of what second corinthians is talking about when it says that god made him who knew no sin to be sin yeah right and so so that we might become the righteousness of god and so literally yeah. he takes the title of blasphemer off of us and places it on himself and then bears the penalty for that blasphemy which is death and so uh, so that we don't have to i think that's the picture here that we need to see of jesus i think you're you're very right that's exactly right that's the good news of jesus in this passage and as i was, as you were talking i kept thinking how in deuteronomy 13 there is no mercy 
for oh, the blasphemer. Yes. So yes, the consequences of blasphemy are increased in the New Testament, but so is the mercy. There is always a name where you can come and wow. a sacrifice you can trust to escape the death that a blasphemer deserves. Mm -hmm. In Jesus, there is no one who is too far gone for God's grace and to be a part of his kingdom. All right, so the concept of Israel's distinctiveness among the nations continues here in a familiar command. So we looked at this back in Leviticus. If you want the, the longer discussion of it, you can go back to the Leviticus podcast. But here in Deuteronomy 14, we hear repeated the um, food laws. So, you know, these are like the, um, the kosher laws that are kind of called today. Yeah, yeah. What can you and can't you eat? Right. What's funny about this is that in the Leviticus, where it kind of like names categories of animals, yeah. this one lists specific animals you can't eat. Tawny and owl. <laughs> like when Leviticus mentions specific animals, this one in Deuteronomy just lists the general rule. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. it is funny. They complement each other. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, they were definitely aware of each other. Um, yeah, anyway. That's well, one author, Moses. Yes. Was writing the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so. Um, and so uh, I just want to give us a quick recap of what, why the food laws and how do we see Jesus in it. I'm just going to try to blaze through this really quick, and then we'll get to the yeah. end of Deuteronomy 14. So let's remember here that, that God has chosen Israel, they're his chosen nation, and he has not chosen the inhabitants of the land. That's a distinctiveness that he is trying to reinforce all throughout the law. And so by his choosing of certain food groups other than, um, you know, different ones. Uh, we're not given the reasons behind those selections. We're just told that he chose them just like he chose Israel. Yeah. Um, and so by Israel eating the selected chosen diet that Yahweh has prescribed, they are publicly announcing and internally reinforcing the idea of their own distinctiveness because their diet is distinct. Their diet has been divinely chosen just as they have been divinely chosen. So it's supposed to be a mirror of the fact that we are clean, so we eat what has been called clean. The nations are unclean, so they eat unclean food. And so it's supposed to be an external and an internal proclamation uh, of who is chosen by God. And so when you fast forward to the New Testament and you see that Jesus appears to Peter and negates these food laws, don't call anything that I've made unclean, Jesus says. What he's saying is that I have gotten rid of the distinction, the racial, ethical, national distinction between Israel and the rest of the world. I, yep. I, I now have chosen all people to be saved, and they uh, can now all come. So you, So likewise, your diet can now reflect that you know, have some bacon yeah. because yeah. every time you have bacon, you should be thinking like, oh, I'm really glad that my ancestors were, you know, Irish and I'm now included in the people of God so I can eat bacon. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, right. it, it, and so that's kind of what's happening here. Did, did, did that make sense? Yeah. And specifically to like the other nations had food laws. Yes. The other nation had laws about what it meant to eat right, to worship right, to prepare your food correctly. I mean, it opens up with the famous one about tattoos that every, you know, teenage kid brings up uh, with their parents. Uh, but like, it's all about the way in which nations worship their gods. Right. Other nations had ways to mourn the dead. Other nations had food laws. Other nations had food preparation. Don't boil your mother, your, a young goat in its mother's milk. Mm -hmm. Like, like they all had laws about this. And these are different yep. because God's people are different. That's right. And so it's just meant to show their distinctiveness. And then whenever Jesus 
gets rid of the food laws, he's he's not necessarily talking about diet. He's talking about who's in and who's out. Now he's saying yeah. all people are in. So that's yes. what happening. Okay. At the end of this chapter, I love the end of this chapter. Absolutely. I was love totally it. surprised by how much I enjoyed reading about the tithing oh, it's practices so, of ancient Israel. It's so Israel. great. It's so great. And so uh, what happens is that the the people of God are to set aside a tithe, uh, which is a tenth of all of their field's produce, and they okay. are to take it. At the harvest season. The harvest season. You, yep. You're taking all, you're harvesting all your food, the first tenth of your field. Yep. And your flocks. You, and your flocks yep. and like everything. That's right. And you're, is you take the Lord's. It's, it's the Lord's. And so what I always thought growing up was that all of this was donated. I did too. Yes. It's not. And so it's not. Okay. We'll talk about every third year later. Okay. Yeah. But, but in the, uh, the, the two years back to back, what, what you do is you take your, 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 your offering or your grain and your animals, the 10th of everything you've made that year, and you bring it to the tabernacle and it, you don't, you don't give it away. You eat it in front of the presence of the Lord. You have a party, yes. you have a feast. And so you can imagine yes. all these people bringing in a tenth of their yearly harvest and having so this th- gigantic just like Think feast. about that. In in like the average salary in the states, I think it's forty thousand dollars. Okay. Yep. So imagine every family taking four grand yeah. and spending it at one time oh in one place. Like just imagine a city doing that. Yeah. A four thousand dollar feast per family party. Yes. It's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> That's it's crazy. Nuts. And I'm just like, oh, and then there's one other provision there uh that we can talk about. And it's it's that if you if if the journey's too far, it, you know, to make with all your grain and all the animals and everything, you sell all that locally and you take yes. every penny that you made from the sell of that, you bring that money to the tabernacle, and there you buy it says whatever your heart whatever desires, you whatever you crave. Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. craves. It's like what it's the same word in Exodus. Mm. You craved meat. Wow. Yep. But now they crave and can eat whatever they yep. want. And that's what and, the, I and, love it, that. and it says that I think in verse in, in chapter 12, it talks about it does. Yeah. It does. Like, I'm giving you a provision to eat meat even in your own cities, like just don't make, just don't make ritualistic sacrifices in your cities, but you can kill an animal and eat it in your, in your city. And so it's just amazing here that God is saying like, whenever you come into my presence, here's what I want you to be thinking about and feeling. And, you know, he's like, I want you to be satisfied and I want you to just like glut yourself and like, just in the, one of my favorite quotes from CS Lewis, it's that he's actually talking about heaven, but it's when Prince Caspian dies and Aslan is about to take him to Narnia's version of heaven. And Caspian says, before I go, can I see my friends? Like talking about Peter, Susan, Susan, Edmund, Lucy. And then he kind of catches himself and he says, oh, wait, is it okay to want that? Mm. Can I, is that okay? And Aslan responds by saying, my son, you cannot want wrong things anymore. Uh, And I thought like, what a beautiful picture of what it's like to be in the land Mm -hmm. to be in the promised land like all that is like i will never want something sinful again yeah spend so much of my life second guessing my decisions wondering if something's the right thing to do wondering if something's the wrong thing to do whether or not that's in the right priority with the right people with the right motive (laughs) with the right motive but one day i will not want wrong things anymore yeah Yeah, and on that day 
on the day of tithe, on the day of first fruits, you and I in heaven with the Lord will not want wrong things anymore. Mm-hmm. We will spend all of our treasures yeah. <laughs> and eat whatever our hearts desire yeah. and it will be good. Yeah, it's so you know, I was good. like, it made me think of heaven. And I don't know if first fruits is supposed to make us think of heaven, but I think well, I think I think the New Testament I think the New Testament talks about first fruits in heaven and you know, Jesus is the first the firstborn from the dead. Uh, he has um, achieved the first fruits of which the rest of the church is the harvest. I think it makes sense. Um, uh, you know, and it's just interesting. You brought up the Exodus thing where it's like, you know, you shall not want, you cannot want bad things anymore or wrong things anymore. And it's like what they wanted in the wilderness, which was meat. They craved meat, yeah. like you said, and it was wrong for them to do so. Now when they come into the presence of the Lord and they crave meat, it's good. Right. Well, because then they weren't trusting God to provide it. Yeah. But because they were in the wilderness, that's right. Yep. But now God has provided it all around them. Yeah, like the meat is everywhere. It's a blessing to them. Yeah, it's so good. Um, it also made me rethink to like saving for things like vacation. Yes, like, like it actually made me rethink like how I budget for things. Like vacation, is something that's always on like the bottom of my list, or like you know, like it's always on the top of mine. <laughs> it's like well, like I want it to be at the top of mine, but it's like oh, I gotta make the car payment. I've got yeah, you know, I gotta you know whatever it is. Yeah, it's like oh our. I don't prioritize it yeah. the way the Israelites were supposed to yes. prioritize it. The first 10% of the harvest every year was supposed to go towards enjoying it. Yes. Yeah. Which is like, I don't think that way about like saving money aside just to enjoy it at a big feast, a big party, mm-hmm. a big vacation. Yep. Like I don't spend four grand a year on a vacation, you know, like, right. Yeah. Anyway, it made me rethink my priorities when it comes to my money yeah. a little bit. On, I, I, like enjoying it. I think people listening, might be offended by that idea that like uh you're talking about taking four thousand dollar vacation like right. uh, yes. and it's like and you're trying to tell me that that's not only a, an okay thing to do but it's like commanded you know and it's like well it's hard to draw a direct parallel between not a command yeah yeah between like, it's like yeah, making a taking a tie to the tabernacle in the land of israel you know and going, but what going it communicates is that the Lord wants you to celebrate yes. what he has given you. Yes, that's right. And I don't have a celebratory attitude mm. towards my budget. Yeah. Like I, my budget is a chain, and, you know, like yes. it is like there are shackles I understand. on what I can and cannot spend. Yeah. And my enjoyment is not normally something I factor in. Mm-hmm to that extent yeah. i do a little bit like i go on date nights yeah. you know we have like bl- like just money to spend on clothes or whatever yeah but like is it a value the way that this is a value mm, i don't think so like good. is celebration right. a goal of my budget do i celebrate in that yeah i don't think so which i think i think again c.s lewis is helpful here because he talks about how um something is not truly enjoyed until it's celebrated yes and so it's he like does. how do you enjoy what god has given you celebrate like like literally feast on it, you know? And so like, I, it's making me rethink about when God, or when Jesus tells us like to come and, you know, to eat his flesh and drink his blood and to, you know, feast on him, to drink from him uh, rivers of living water. And like, mm, he's like, yeah. come and celebrate me, like come and feast on me. And, um, and I think like one of the ways we can do that is in, you know, one of the most root platitudinous, um, things that we do as Christians, which is like blessing a meal, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. where we're like, thank you, God, for this food. Amen. And it's like, no, 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 no. God wants you to taste and see that he's really good and that he satisfies and that he has provided and like all this stuff. And it's like a meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, 
you know, yeah. after work drinks. That's like a thing that God wants you yeah. to do, like in his presence, like yes. giving him honor, like whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Like we can yeah. eat. And it's not like one of those things. I think we've, we've disassociated that text. Be like, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. No, he's talking literally about eating and drinking, you know, first. Right. Eating and drinking to the glory of God is a core principle of the Bible. And so yes. it's like, we need to, when we come around a table with friends, by ourselves, with family, when we enjoy a bottle of wine or whatever, like we need to be yeah. thinking like, thank you, God, you're so right. good. You've provided this. And like knowing that he is infinitely more satisfying and delicious than whatever it is you're imbibing when on. When we finally, do, Jesus does return, what he throws for us is a wedding supper of the lamb. Right. Like there is a meal in heaven like this waiting for us. Yep. That's one of the hope, the good news of the gospel is that we eat with Jesus. Yep. We feast with Jesus on all the things that he's given us. That's right. Yeah. It'll be an internal enjoyment of God, both um, experientially in his presence, which will be the most supreme gift. But I think with the marriage stuff of the lamb, it will also be carnal really good food. and really good food. Like, really good food. So it, yeah, it's amazing. I, yeah. Anyway, you don't, that's not the only thing we do with our tithe. Oh, right. Every third year, every, so every third. Yep. So what happens is so year one and two, you spend a 10th on your family in the Lord's presence, celebrating what he's given you. Yep. And then every third year, you take that 10%, you bring it to like a corporate pile, like a, you like bring a city it, center, like a city center. And then all the people who do not have an inheritance in the land. So the Levites in particular, but also the poor and orphans, the needy, widows, orphans can come to that kitty and take whatever they need. That's right. Yep. Which is amazing. Again, uh, it re it challenged my assumptions about what it means to be generous with my money. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like tithing is good. Right. I know that. But like this is like a really radical, like every two for two years, I'm going to celebrate myself. And on a third year, I'm going to deny myself. Yes. So that people can do this. Yeah. And like, it was like, it was really like, so I should sacrifice something so that other people can benefit. Yeah. Like, and I should feel it every three years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. $4,000. Just go take it. And yeah. give it to the give it to four thousand dollars. I just spent to go to Florida the last two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are now being spent on I don't know what. Yeah, you know, right. I'm not. Um, going, I'm not going to Florida this year. Right. So that um, a, a bunch of different marginalized right. people can survive this year. Yes, and we should mention that when you throw that four thousand dollar party. You're supposed to invite them, yes. Levi. You're supposed to invite people that don't have an inheritance, single moms. Yep. You're supposed to invite them into your home yep. when you are celebrating. But we should, I was just make that clear. So what this sets up then is a series, a cycle of seven years for the people of Israel. Yep. This is actually the next chapter. So I think it maybe just fits to talk about here. Yeah, go ahead. So in year one and year two, you tithe and you eat that. You celebrate that in the presence of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Celebrate. Year three, you give it all away. Year four and year five, you enjoy it again. Celebrate again. You're six, you give it away. Yep. And then on year seven, you are not supposed to harvest anything from your field. Right. You're not supposed to work it. You're not supposed to put seeds into it. You just leave it fallow so that the Levite, the disinherited, the people that don't have land of their own can come, use your field, grow their own crops, and then they can survive for, for a period of time. Yep. So there's a cycle of set, and that's what... The, chapter 15 is about the sabbatical year yeah. for the land where you let it rest so that others might yep. eat. Which is a huge topic that I want to spend an actual episode on, but yes, but it, it does like, lead into that. So I'm glad that's you mentioned the end it. of the cycle. Yeah. So like, 
Anyway, what do you have? What do you think about? Well, that? I mean, we've kind of we've talked about Jesus and, and the meal that He provides, you know, for us now in His flesh and blood um, to sustain us, you know, spiritually, physically, emotionally, psychologically, um, and then also how He has told us to like don't call anything He's made unclean. Eat it, enjoy it, love it, right? You know, and and let do that in His in His presence for His glory and honor. Um, and then um, and then we've also talked about like how do we also use our resources to um, bless those around us, the poor, because ultimately that's what Jesus did. He had the riches of heaven, right? right? And he, he, he denied himself, as you said, to give it to the needy, which was us. He gave yeah. us his very flesh and blood. He gave up not a 10th. He gave up a hundred percent. He gave up everything in order to bless us with his very flesh and blood. And so, um, and then ultimately eschatolo- eschatologically looking at the future kingdom of heaven, and how we'll eat with Jesus in, in you know, in his presence forever. Yeah. So I think we've kind of covered it. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful passage. It's, just like logistically, like if I'm an Israelite whose main source of income and food is my land, uh-huh. and I'm not allowed to farm on it for an entire year, how do I survive? Oh, yeah. Easy, easy answer. You ready? Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing that God said on day six of uh, their wilderness wanderings. You know, he would provide manna and in day six, he would provide a double portion and they would bring in a double portion and that way they would survive through day seven and and that that would be their resting day. He gives the same provision for the, for the sixth year that they would bring in God, God would so bless their fields that they would bring in enough both for that year and the following year. And so they would have enough for two years for based on one year's harvest, wow. which is a gigantic act of faith to say, Dude, I'm, I'm like, going to give up one year's wages because I I'm trying to imagine them. like, yeah, it just doesn't work quite the same way when you get paid a salary by somebody. It's like, yeah, you're not going to get a 200, 100% increase. You're not going to get a salary bump that big. I mean, maybe that's the point. <laughs> maybe you trust God to give you that, but like, that's not the way it normally works. So anyway, I'm just thinking. I've been like in putting myself in Israel's shoes. Like, what if for the next seven years I did this? Oh, yeah. Like, what if, what if th- starting now for the, I save ten percent, and next December I go on a four thousand dollar vacation. <laughs> right, right, next right. Time I do the same thing, and then next year I give all that four grand away. Yep. And then you know, like, what if yeah. I did that? What would the seventh year look like? Right. For somebody like, no, but really, like, what would? How would we obey the command of the seventh year? Like, we can like make observations about principles of like using your money for both celebration and generosity. Yeah. But like, what's the, what is the seventh year? Like, yeah. Principle yeah. There? So the seventh year principle, uh, I think there's a couple things to talk about here. Uh, one is we should recognize that it's widely agreed upon that Israel never celebrated the year of Jubilee. They never obeyed it. Wow. Um, and so it was an ideal that was never realized on this earth. So I think it's something important to remember. So, Seven years came, no one did it. Seven years came, no one did it. The seven times seven years came, the 50th year, the you know, the mega right. Sabbath, the mega year of Jubilee, no one did it. And so when Jesus finally comes on the scene and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me in Luke 4 to proclaim good news to the poor, right? For this is the year uh... of the Lord's favor. We were to see like this thing that we could never realize um, where the poor are provided for out of the richness of another who has self-sacrificed where the slaves are set free, people are given land that they've lost, people are brought back to a status that they had disinherited. 
is only ever fulfilled by Jesus. It's too lofty. Of, like, how does this work in our worldly economy? And there have been organizations, nonprofit groups, monastic movements who have tried to reenact this, and even they have failed. Like, and I'm not saying we shouldn't we shouldn't try to apply these principles to our lives. I'm saying that when we are so overwhelmed with the size of this kind of social call and sacrifice and reorientation of the kingdom, we should be like, oh, that's what Jesus did for us. Man, that is a mega Sabbath. That is really, really good news yeah. that he has done. Yeah. And so I think that's one thing to remember is that like it's yeah, Jesus that fulfills Israel this. by their failure to live out the seventh year had oppressed the poor. That's right. For their entire history. So when Jesus comes to pronounce good news to the poor, I've never like put those things together. Like I finally come to give you what Israel never could. That's right. And what the law never could. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, so, but then I, I think that the, the call is stronger upon Christians that it's not every seventh year that we do this. This is to be, um, we live within the Sabbath every day and we are to always hold our possessions, our time, our talents uh, loosely and that they are always open-handed, mm. that anyone who has need we give to. You know, it's like uh, John in 1 John 3 says that if you have resources and you see someone in need that you can help and you don't help them, how can God be in that person? He's saying like, mm. if God has put his name in you, you live the year of Jubilee every day. And like wow. that is even harder than thinking about, how would I do this for one year? No, 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 no. We should be like, oh, how do I do this every day? day and it's the only answer is like only when you've been radically impacted by the mega sabbath that jesus has brought through his death mm -hmm. burial and resurrection so wow. there's my answer to your year of jubilee question <laughs> well merry christmas guys as we go on our merry own sabbath and contemplate <laughs> how we need to be generous towards our kids and to our family members with our christmas bonuses or whatever else yeah. we have in our pocketbooks like bless others, mm -hmm. be generous with others, give to the poor, um, rest well, yeah. enjoy all the Lord has provided, celebrate and be generous this season. Mm -hmm. This is a good Christmas. This is a Christmas, this is a Christmas episode. episode. Yep. I didn't realize that, right? but it definitely is. I didn't either. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you guys. And uh, yeah, enjoy the holidays. And uh, we're going to go on a winter break, but we will see you in January. So uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Spoken Gospel.